Today's Words and Nerds podcast is sponsored by The Accomplice by Steve Kavanagh. If you were married to a serial killer, would you know? Steve Kavanagh's follow-up to the best-selling 13, 50-50 and The Devil's Advocate is his twistiest yet. The Sandman serial killings have been solved. Daniel Miller murdered 14 people before he vanished. His wife Carrie now faces trial as his accomplice. The FBI, the district attorney, the media and everyone in America believe she knew and and helped cover up her husband's crimes. The only thing between a life in jail or freedom is Eddie Flynn and his team. Steve Kavanagh is the master of the twist, and The Accomplice will keep you guessing right to the last page. The Accomplice is released in Australia on the 26th of July. Hello, welcome back to Burgers, Beers and Books. My name is Ben Hobson. This is the podcast where I interview your favourite authors about their favourite books. And it's really good to be here. I have a couple of things I want to say before we get into today. I have Philip Vukashin is my guest today. We're talking about a really wonderful novel called Stoner by John Williams. I'm realizing now that I can pretty safely uh, announce the book. I've been doing this thing where I kind of keep the book title secret for part of the podcast, but then um, I'm realizing now that the title of the book is in the actual title of the podcast, so it's no use. Um, so yeah, happy to say now that it's Stoner by John Williams. I love this book and I'm really looking forward to my chat with um, Philip about this book and it's really cool that he's chosen it. He is the author of a book called Modern Marriage, um, which I recommend you guys go and check out. You know, he's a wonderful author and a great human being. I wanted to say right from the top, um, the idea with this podcast originally was that I was going to be meeting people in person to sit down, have a burger, have a beer and chat about books and one of my favourite things to do is to discuss books in a really relaxed way. Uh, Unfortunately it's been a bit funny with the old burger part of the podcast especially so unless there's some sort of social media outcry, I've been a bit lax with it too, let's be real. I'm not going to have a burger as often anymore while we do the podcast. I know it's shocking, I know that I'm sure I'm going to get bombarded with angry Twitter comments about just what a what a sham this whole thing is. But I think the burger in Burgers, Beers and Books, the whole idea is just that's the vibe. Okay, so the vibe is the same and I will still be meeting with people in person to have um, a burger every so often if we can in Brisbane. But when we're over the, um, the Zoom call, I think it's a bit... Well, I don't know. I mean, you guys tell me. If you guys want me to keep eating burgers, making all those... Oh, that was weird. I regret doing that. If you want me to keep doing that into the microphone, uh, I guess just let me know on Twitter. All right, well, without further ado, let's get into the chat with Philip. Let's say what up, dog. What up, dog? Hey, Philip, how are you? Very good. Good good. to see you. I'm very happy to chat with you. This is the first time we've had a, uh, well, I guess it's, do you count this as a real life conversation when it's over Zoom? It is post twenty twenty, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all. <laughs> this is our real life um, via digital yeah. mediums. Um, yeah. Now you've got a, a, a thing of a glass of cider. I have a, yeah. a glass of of whiskey. We're here to talk Cheers. about a a. Hmm. I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this. I'm going to say it. I think this has been out of all the books I've read for this podcast. I think this is my favorite so far. Is that not? Yeah, it's kind of naughty that I said that. Sorry, everyone else. <laughs> I love all of the books you chose, but you know, there's just sometimes there's these special ones that just do, they resonate. And I was really moved by this book. I really loved reading it. Um, when I started reading it, um, so we're talking about Stoner by John Williams. And when I started, I thought, oh no, this feels like it might end up being quite pretentious just from the first page. I was like, uh oh. But man, it just it dug its it dug its little patient, calm, quiet fingers into my soul a little bit, and I really liked it. So yeah. thank you for choosing it. <laughs> Thanks for having me, and I'm so excited to talk about it with someone. <laughs> yeah, like it's yeah, that's the whole idea with this, right? Like I kind of just get to talk about people's favorite books, and I I don't know about you, but um, I find talking about other people's books easier than talking about my books. I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. 
I mean, you can give it some oomph, you know, it doesn't sound like you're pretentious. And I don't know, somehow I think with, with some um, stepping out of it, you can see things better than if it's your own work. I think when it's your own work, you're obsessed with like this one word that you used or a phrase or whatever. Whereas with someone else's work, I don't know, I can, you, I, I just enjoy reading so I can kind of absorb yeah. it in its entirety. Yeah. Do you feel like sometimes it is quite hard? I mean, this is a book about the power of literature in, in many mm. um, respects, but do you find it you when you when you're writing your own work so you've got one novel out modern marriage do you find mm-hmm. when you when you're thinking about what you did you don't really know what you did does that make sense <laughs> like yeah. have you ever had yeah. people come and talk to you about it and say well i saw this in there and you're like oh okay cool yeah. i'm so glad that yeah. i accidentally did that <laughs> yeah yeah i mean also getting being told what kind of book it is you know like if it's domestic drama or it's you know, whatever, it's an yeah. issue book or this or that, um, which I have no idea um, and had, had no idea initially. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's, 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 that's really interesting. I got an email from a reader just last week um, oh, cool. from a lady in Canberra who said that um, she loved how I mentioned pastoral care in the novel. And I was like, that is so amazing, like that this one sentence, that I remember putting in, but it, it isn't a significant thing yeah. to her because she's a pastoral carer. She, she was like, this, like, I'm going to share this with my, you know, um, with my friends and stuff. I'm like, you, you, everyone gets something different out of a book. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Which is so cool. That yeah. Cool. Yeah. I had, um, for To Become a Whale. So I wrote that book and I'd set out to write this book about a father and son. And then the whaling station sort of came into it and I started to get excited about the research, but the real part of it to me was about the kid and his dad and their relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm a high school teacher and my original bio, I had the high school I worked at and I got a call one day from admin at at the high school and they said, oh, we've got this this weird um, email from France. I was like, what? They said, yeah, stuff (laughs) about whales or something. And I was like, oh, and they forwarded it through to me. So the book got published in France, but this guy had read it in, in French. And then he was a whale researcher and he thought he wanted to send me his thesis on this whale stuff. And I couldn't read it because it was in French. And <laughs> But he was so excited. Like he was that so excited really that cool. some, yeah, it's like someone had finally started to talk about something that he was excited about, I guess. It's sort of validating, mm-hmm. right? When you can read yourself in literature. Or, or even when you see someone who's not yourself and you connect, there's a connection. It's got yeah. nothing, doesn't look like you, doesn't sound like you, it's got nothing to do with you. And yet there is this deep connection. That's, that's what I really enjoy from reading. Because I feel like if I read myself, I'm like, I know myself, I live this life, that kind of stuff. For me personally, reading is, is trying to inhabit someone else and seeing the commonality. That's cool. Um, yeah, that's well put, man. Yeah, yeah that's a great thought. Like reading, you know, those um, science fiction or those fantasy books I used to read mm-hmm. when I was a kid, like those far off lands, but yet I can see humanity in those people. Yeah. It's, again, yeah. it's funny, hey, because this is this book is kind of all about this stuff about, you know, what literature does, like the power of it. And um, Stoner falls in love with literature. But if you don't mind, I'd like to start with yeah. you just a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, can you tell us a little of your journey? Like how how, how long have you been writing fiction as an example because i know you're also a very busy doctor so uh the Uh, daily life it must be hard to fit all the other stuff in yeah it is it's getting harder and harder um yeah i wrote i started writing on my lunch breaks at work as a means of not reading the news and just getting depressed (laughs) about reading the news so oh man um, i can understand that yeah yeah scrolling on social media stuff yeah, yeah yeah exactly so that was 2018 and I wrote the first draft of Modern Marriage in about nine months on, on Google, Do- Do- Google Docs. And then yep. um, I spent about a year and a half editing it on the computer and that kind of stuff. Um, and then when COVID hit, uh, I had nothing else to do. So I saw that the ASA were doing literary speed dating and I signed up. And, and then I got my agent, Gabby mm. um, Nea, who you know very well. Yes, and, I do know Gabby. Um, Brilliant. And Brilliant. yeah, within two weeks, I had a... a, a the deal with a firm press and then pretty much 11 months later the book came out so it was all very quick that once is it, quick yeah it was very, very quick. 
Yeah. How did you? Yeah. How did you? How did you know what you were? How did you know what you were doing? Because <laughs> it took me from day dot starting practicing. I was really terrible, and I practiced for maybe nine to ten years, probably before Gabby found my first manuscript. So yeah, how did you get? How did you get so brilliant so quickly, my man? No, no, <laughs> shush. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, God. Uh... Well, you know, like, how did you get your craft? Like, you've obviously been a reader for a very long time, I imagine. I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I think it's reading, okay. reading a book a book a fortnight kind of thing or, you know, in ten, a book every 10 days kind of thing, really obsessively reading. I haven't got it. I haven't had a TV for about seven or eight years, so I don't watch any telly. So all I do is read um, <laughs> or live, you know, work and that kind of stuff. You look shocked. Oh, is so it's such a frozen good... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my fa- my mouth fell open. I'm sorry, that was a bit awkward. Um, that's an amazing choice. Like you don't have TV yeah. and you just spend time reading and devouring books. That's amazing, man. Yeah. That sounds so yeah. like good for the mind. It really is. It's such a vacuum. Like you can easily. I used. I mean, I used to watch it like all the time. You know, it'd be in the background for like five hours, and you're just constantly watching it. So, um, so then that's what helped. And I think just I internalized maybe story structure. Yeah. Um, and um, like I was saying to you before we began, you know, I work as a GP and I'm every day I'm listening to stories. Every day someone comes in and I can tell if they're, if they're saying it in a, in a nice way where it's understandable and I can get all the information or it's a meandering, difficult, yeah. obtuse way, you know. And, and so I guess, that, you know, that, that's possibly how it happened. Um, oh. And then obviously writing it, it needed, you know, it needed editing. I, hi- I hired a, a, a freelance editor who, who um, gave me a big structural edit and that all happened before I submitted it. That's um, awesome. That's such a good so, idea. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, really good. Um, her name is Nicola O'Shea and she was great. So, so essentially when it went to Gabby, my agent, it didn't need any work. I mean, it needed work once the publisher got it, obviously. There was lots of work then, um, but on submission, it, it was, you know, it was looking had... pretty darn good as it went out into publishing. Land. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It is pretty miraculous, man. Like going, starting in 2018 and then using your lunch breaks to, to write like, and then when did it come out? It was out. Was it, was it 2020? 2021. 2021. Yeah. That's a quick yeah, turnaround from starting out to, and then it was your first go. Like, had you, had you wanted to write for a while and then just suddenly just clicked and you started or it just no, dawned on you one no. day and you picked up a pen? Pretty much. Pretty much. Wow. I've, I've always, I've, I've read a lot of books that I thought I couldn't do better. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's pro- probably, that was probably the impetus. Which you know, ones? Like, or, or, or or it's like a really really good plot and a really good story and the ending i just don't like or you know and and you're like god if i could just tweak that so that's probably what part of the motivation um Mm. um that that led to it yeah (laughs) yeah cool i'm just that's really cool um and when did uh when did stoner fall into your life like when did that strike you and god God, start of this year, I I know you do a lot of research about your books. So I did a lot of research for this. Um, and I've, I've, re- I've actually read it about three months ago. Yeah. And then I re- I, re- I listened to it. I re-listened to the audio book just two weeks ago for this for this chat so I could, yeah. um, so it could be up to date. And it was just as good. Maybe even, I never reread books, actually. This is the only book I've ever read twice. Wow. Uh, unless it was like in English studies, you know, I had to read like, you know, whatever, The Outsider, like five times. Um, Othello, you know, 10 times, but I never reread books. This is the first time I've ever reread one. And it was really, really just marvelous. Yeah. So I came across it about, yeah, three, four months ago. Um, I don't even know how, I think it was just, I don't, I have no idea. I actually have no idea. I think yeah, it was right. maybe so at the library. Like re- recommendation or anything. It's just one of no, those books. That you've got. No, I just literally, I, and I, I think what got, got me was the name. I'm like, there's a book about stoners, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and then I turned it over and I'm like, hold on, this is like a vintage Williams. And I'm like, who the hell is Williams? And I'm like, mm-hmm. why is he vintage? And, and I, I, was, I guess those two things intrigued me. And then, and that's, and I, I've read a lot of stuff online since then about people having the same experience. And, yeah. um, and then Neither of them are, are, are relevant, um, and the story is just captivating. Yeah, mm. 
And can I ask just before we get into talking about, I want to talk about John Williams as well and sort of mm. his history and then the book itself. But mm. um, what is something from this book that you think you'll you'll sort of magpie steal and take into your future books? Like what's something that you really loved about this book that you'd like to capture, even if it's just a feeling or a, yeah, what do you, what are, what's a lesson you got from it that you want to take into your own writing? Um. I really loved how banal, I'm just reading my notes here, how mm. banal and common events in the work, in the book are, mm -hmm. like workplace rivals, affairs, mm -hmm. and parenthood. Um, it's like, it's so, like, just normal. And it's just drawn so richly and engagingly. And I don't, and I Still, having read it twice, I still don't understand how he did it. Like it's yeah, just, that's that's the thing that annoys so... me the most. Yeah, I wish I could un undo what he did and figure it out, but there is a magic to it. Hey, there's just this thing that he does where he makes these, yeah. like you say, banal little parts of a normal, ordinary, plain existence, mm -hmm. and yet they're the climax to a novel. Like the big action scene is two people politely discussing um you know what i mean like a, a work of yeah. a book um yeah there's yeah. this scene there's that scene where he's with his young daughter and i think it's edith has sort of mm -hmm. taken off and so he is mm -hmm. the prime so like caregiver of his daughter mm -hmm. and he's in his study um studying and marking papers and she sets he sets up a little desk for her and then she's mm -hmm. there um like writing i think or drawing on her little desk next to her dad it's like it's beautiful that's so beautiful i know it's but so, it's so simple. Like it's, why <laughs> it's not often i don't know whether it's often that i see it in books like these those little moments like i think that the the tendency in a book is to make things bigger right more dramatic but he sort of goes the opposite way and, a little bit and propel like everything's about turning the page and propelling hmm. that I've read it come across in, you know, books and podcasts and interviews and stuff. And this, it doesn't feel like, I think another thing that I really liked about this is it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel hmm. like there's this propel propulsion yet. You literally can't stop reading. Mm -hmm. And also what I found was that things happened to him as opposed to him doing them like in the yeah. i know that the common thing is you know not to be passive in books mm -hmm. if you're writing like you sh it should be active yeah and there's so much passivity in this and i like, think that's really almost like one of his defining characteristics is that he will yeah. not he will not act and even when he acts it always is terrible and he's the lesson he learns is to just shut up a little bit you know what i mean but yeah yeah he's so compelling like he just you want yeah. so badly for him it's almost like his passivity is the thing that you, you just like, come on, man, just <laughs> please say something for your daughter's sake. You know what I mean? Like, you just please stick up for yourself. Yeah. You're cool. We like you. Yeah. And he's yeah. Drawn and, it, and it, and it's, and it's real, you know, it is real, you know, like it, it, it you can feel life can sometimes really feel out of control. Mm. And and it can feel like you really just are going along for the ride. Um, so I think it, it's quite, it, it captures that quite well. You know, he's swept up in this in this romance that he's really he's into her. Like he's kind of pursuing her. Well, he is pursuing her. He asks yeah. her to marry him. Um, and then you know, it kind of <laughs> <laughs> isn't what he wants. Or no. isn't what he expected and yeah like so many things in life you know? yeah. and you can sort of when he's falling in love with her you can sort of even see then like you can sort of see the way she acts the way she speaks there's a certain little things here and there where you're like i'm not sure she's mm -hmm. really as into it as he is mm -hmm. but you just want it you want so desperately for it to work out you're like oh come on he's made a decision i want it to work out well for him and then the thing or the beautiful part of it that I love is that it's obviously Edith is is a very difficult partner for for Stoner and she she there's a lot of trouble within their marriage but yet 
there's also these moments that they actually do sort of seem to see each other for who they are, especially mm. at the end when she's yeah. comforting him. Um, it's quite like there's a certainty to her as well. Like, I don't know, like, I like that it's, I like that it's not easy. It's not an easy, like, this is a villain who we hate. It's not that at all. It's just this exactly. is a human being with difficult and moments. Absolutely. And what it, it's, it's like everything in life, nothing is black and white everything is gray and mm. even though she treats him for most of their life not great i mean she's really struggling with her own issues Edith's mm. wife um which we aren't privy to because it's mostly from his it's not really his point of view it's kind of omniscient but it's kind of his point of view um but you know she's struggling through for through with her own issues and you kind of want to hate her and you know like everyone everyone that does good people do bad things yeah. And and bad people do good things, you know, and there's mm -hmm. no such really such thing as good as good and as good and bad. So I think this um yeah, it draws that really well in, in terms of relationship. And I also read this very closely. I'm not sure if I read it before or after Call Me By Your Name. Mm. I don't know if you've read that book. No, I haven't read that book. But it's very lusty. It's very young love. It's very hedonistic in terms of oh, you know, yeah. sexy which is lovely and that's not really a real life for a long <laughs> like it, it is for maybe a few weeks or a few months you yeah. know but yeah. it isn't doesn't last decades and whereas with stoner you know there's these tribulations in their relationship having kids you know work issues having affairs this kind of stuff and yet you know they stay together and even though you don't really, I don't really like her. I, I, at the end, I, I did like her and I like them together. I'm glad that they stayed together the whole yeah, life. It's, <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost like you just want, you just you want so desperately for something like some small thing to go right for Stoner. You're just <laughs> like, please, just please let this thing do just something go right for this poor man who we love so much. And so all those little moments where it's like he gets to spend that time with his daughter or he gets to spend that time with Edith, even though most of it's terrible, there's that little bit. And you're like, yeah. it's almost beautiful. Like it's almost like he, he sees the totality of his life and he sees these mm -hmm. little parts that make it worth something. It's like those little yeah. moments of think the things that make it worth it. And like, yes, there's drudgery and suffering and all these other parts, but he does mm. have these little moments that show him that what he's what he's done with his life has been worthwhile in some capacity, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to. I have a quote here, and this is going back to what we were talking about about literature being, um, uh, like you know, wanting to turn the page, you know, that mm. hook and driving the reader mm. through. So, um, this was an interview in 1986. So this was a long time after he'd written this book. Mm. But um, he was asked this question by an interviewer and they said, in literature is written to be entertaining? Question mark. Like, is it really? And he said, um, absolutely. My God, to read without joy is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like, he's written this book, like we were talking, is so quiet. And mm. it is a page turner, though. I don't know what it is about it that makes me turn the page. I just, I want to see, mm. I just, every page is like you're searching for a nugget of stoner happiness, right? Mm. And, and like you said, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, really, if you look, I, I, I mean, I'm not at the end of my life, hopefully, but I think, you know, lots of people that reflect on their lives, it's, it tends to not be the big things, the big job that you got, the big, you know, bender that you had, it tends to be the cumulative tiny things, the, yeah. the, the incremental time with your family or on a, you know, volunteering somewhere or spending time with someone or doing something incrementally long-term that mm. most, you know, that, that really shapes someone like, like exercise, you know, if you do it, you can't, if you have one big session, you're not going to be fit, but you need mm -hmm. to do it like every day for decades. Right. And that will give you, it's kind of the same thing with relationships. You know, you need to do it every day, bit by bit by bit. There's no one grand gesture. And somehow this book sums that up for me in terms of these, like you said, these small bits and bobs, which are really kind of under the radar. 
but actually that's what life is yeah and i see i think that the thing is though that we get so caught up in our lives and like we've been talking about at the start here with just doom scrolling and busy social media and tv and work and you know i put my kids to bed every night and my kids every night <laughs> every night they go hug and kiss in bed that's what they <laughs> shout out and I'm, I'm like watching tv or you know i'm doing the dishes or something like that and i'm like yeah, yeah yeah i'll be in there soon hug and kiss in bed mum and dad so we have to go to each of them and give them a hug and a kiss in bed. And yeah. I do that every single day, but I don't know whether I notice that I'm doing that every day. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether I take the time to really appreciate what I have in that little moment. And I was reading this that makes you sort of go, oh. And then that night after I'd finished the book, the next night when I had that moment, I was like, oh, hang on, this is actually super special. And it's yeah. not going to be there forever. Like I should yeah. take a second to actually go, oh, this is a beautiful part of my life. And that yeah. when I'm on my deathbed, again, same as you, hopefully a while away, but when I am, hopefully those are the little parts that you do remember. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Jeez, we got deep exactly. there, didn't we? <laughs> oh, it's just, I love those books. And like, there's been a few books like that, that make you, when you turn that last page, you do just take a second and you go, this is, you appreciate your life. You know, it points mm. out all the little beautiful parts and the relationships you have. And, mm. you know, I sent a tweet out the other day um, describing how busy I am each day. Um, and it's hard because you get so tired during the day, just doing so many things for your family and your work and creative life and exercise and you want to take care of yourself and, Mm. You know, look after your relationships and all those things. And you get so, mm. you just get tired, but gosh, all those things make life so rich. And I sometimes yeah. forget to, to know, like, and be grateful. Like, oh, it's so cool that my life is nice. You know, like, like yeah. now I'm talking to you yeah. <laughs> and a drink about a great book. I mean, we tend to appreciate things when they've disappeared, you know, so. Um, that's hard that's too, man, yeah books are good because uh, you know they can really make you inhabit someone else's life where someone else is losing something <laughs> you don't have to and you can appreciate you know um so yeah I, I really felt that with this yeah yeah it's such a great book yeah it is if it's all right i'd like to read another quote that's actually from the book that i think really does mm -hmm. sum up a lot of what the book is about um i've seen this quoted in a number of spots as like the sort of defining quote of the book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it says, um, and this is, I think it's one of his, um, the, like heads of department or whatever you want to call them, talking to Stoner and he says, you must remember what you are and what you have chosen to become and the significance of what you are doing. There are wars and defeats and victories of the human race that are not military and that are not records in the annals of history. Remember that while you're trying to decide what to do, what power do you think literature holds? That's my question to you. I like that. I like, you know, mm -hmm. this idea of there are wars, there are victories. This is when he's talking about going to war. If you remember that part at the start yeah. of the novel where everyone else is World in the I think. World War One, yeah. Mm. And he opts to stay back at the university and to be a professor mm. of literature. And so this... I forget who it was who said the quote, but this person is sort of describing to him that you're still doing something significant. Even if you're not over there that's fighting, right. you are doing something significant. So I guess that's my question to you. Like, what what do you think that literature is doing in, in this world that we live in? What's the power of it? And why why should we keep talking about it, doing podcasts like this one? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think it's, a manifestation of something that's just inherent in humans, which is to, you know, to tell stories and communicate. Um, and I think literature itself, obviously, apart from the the just joy of it, mm -hmm. like like John Williams said. Yeah. Um, oh God, I mean, so many things. You know, you, you can read a nonfiction book, and you can use it as a manual to your life. <laughs> Um, you can you see yourself in something. You can have empathy with someone who's not like you. I, it's just amazing that those little black dots 
on a on yeah. paper on a yeah. tree yeah. can can it's teleportation you know like it's actually that's what it is yeah back <laughs> in know? time to 1965 when he when he wrote it right yeah yeah so it's it's just everything i don't know it's everything <laughs> yeah but i guess <laughs> what about for you well i was just gonna say like that when we had when the pandemic first hit there were a lot of writers i think who were saying how can you like how can we write at a time like this you know there are real calamities going on around the world there's a lot of awful things happening in our world this day how can we write like what's the point of producing these books and i don't know i feel like i feel like novels and literature and books like they're these this last vestige of where we can really talk about these deep parts of ourselves like i'm not sure there are that many avenues anymore beyond um you know if you're religious like going to a church or something like that but that's where you, you know or maybe universities but mm-hmm. where are you having these deep conversations about themes and morals and um moments and beauty and all these deepy deep weighty things and i think i think that's why we should keep on um reading and writing and um talking about books and art in general i think it mm-hmm. just brings a lot of I think it brings clarity, like, and yeah. I think it can bring purpose to a life as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, and really reading is a conversation, isn't it? Like, but it's a deep conversation, you know, and it's a conversation that you're not um, having to pay a psychologist to have, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, and it's, and it's, it's not performative. I feel like maybe, you know, in certain domains we can be you know there's a dogma attached to it of how Mm. you should do something and this kind of stuff and i guess in a book there is a way that a book should be presented but that's frequently you know broken and you know um reinvented um and it really is you know i guess it's interesting because i've never had such a deep conversation as as i've had with writers since Mm -hmm. i've come into the writing world um because it is this kind of gateway into like, it's not just talking about the weather and what's happening and, you know, life. it really is cutting to the core of, you know, some important stuff and, and, you know, the struggles we all feel in different ways and, and I guess showing vulnerability. I always found that Um, when I went on like a book tour or something, um, like I did this uh, thing called the writers on the road book tour with, um, Byron Bay Writers Festival, I think it was in 2019, mm-hmm. it might have been, maybe 2018. Uh-huh. Um, cool. So they put these these um, writers and poets in a little van and we truck around um, country New South Wales and talk to schools mm. and little book clubs and libraries. And it was really special. But every single, every single one of those where I would have a conversation after the event, it would just be person upon person just going straight to the core thing about them let me tell you this important part of my life history so then we can discuss it and like you say there was no chit chat getting to know you weather stuff it's sort of like a book is sort of like a shortcut (laughs) into a person a little bit yeah yeah definitely. definitely i've often thought about like do you ever know someone as well as you know a person who's written a book like I, I obviously, my wife and I, we are very close, you know, this most intimate person who I, mm. special relationship who I have, but like, I'm not in her mind. Like, I don't know what she mm. thinks and I can never guess how she will react to something. And, you know, but reading a book is like this whispered sort of, like you say, it's like a, it's like a conversation that you get to receive, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And you also get to inhabit you know, parts of yourself that you like hidden, like being an asshole or being a bitch or being, yep. you know, whatever, you know, being a nasty piece of work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you can, you can inhabit that. Yeah. And essentially you're showing that part of yourself, even, I mean, it's fiction obviously, but it's coming from you, like, you know, you're creating it. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and everyone's got that, you know, everyone has that. Um, and so in some ways it's, it's kind of peeling off a little bit of 
yourself (laughs) you know like that is that is inside you and it's inside everyone you know um it's just whether we we choose to show it or not and and if you're really writing you know semi-honestly you then you're showing that part of yourself Mm. i guess those bits of yourself yeah yeah full on hey um (laughs) let's move into talking about the book um, the book mm. itself. Uh, I wanted to start. I've got uh, so I, I this is the first time I've done this, but I went on to Twitter and I said I'm going to be talking about this book. And I said, uh-huh. does anyone have any thoughts on it? Right. And universally loved. Um, oh. I did read some reviews on Goodreads that weren't um, positive, but most of the time, people just seem to, especially writers and readers, they just seem to just adore. This book. So I've got a couple of quotes here. Um, Les Zig said, brilliant book, um, such a simple premise and so everyday in its themes. So it's very similar to what we've been talking about. Mm. Um, Alex Duke said, great book to read when you're at university. Daniel Pilkington said, one of my all-time favorite books. Karen Heenan Mm. said, quietly drags you into his world. Amazing writing considering very little happens. But you remain so engaged. (laughs) That's what we've been talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. John Purcell said, so John's just got a recent, a book just out, just really yeah. recently. Um, or age article. Yeah. So he said, no novel in recent memory has elicited so many emotions from me. Mm. Pretty huge from him being I such a good, that. Yeah. well, yeah, yeah. well-read person. Um, Nina Killam said, quite and devastate, devastating. Amanda O'Callaghan said, one of the rare books I'd read again. Well, this is what you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Robert Muir said, beautiful and sad. Claire Corbould said, read it a decade ago and still remain haunted to this day. Wow. He was pre, because this is real, from my Googling, it's really became a thing in 2013, I think, when it was published in France. Yeah. Did you come across this? It had a second life. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. Yeah, you're actually right on with your dates. Um, the last yeah. one I thought, um, Lisa Hill, she has this really great um, uh, review on anzlitlovers.com. Yeah. Um, but she said, but the unremarkable trajectory of this life, unremarkable, mm-hmm. is transformed mm-hmm. into a novel of astonishing power. Melancholy in tone, Stoner is a celebration of victory over the self and the dignity of a quiet and honourable life. Oh, God, she's such a good reviewer. It's that's good, right? really, that's like right on. Yeah. yeah. The, I love that word dignity of, yeah. of a quite honorable life. Like you don't, the quality of a life is not in the, like we were talking about, it's not in the flashy bits. Yeah. You can have yeah. a quiet and dignified and totally. honorable life. That's so cool. I love, love that thought. Well, and it's kind of like, dignified and honorable to who like it's really to yourself like yourself, yeah. it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter what everyone else thinks i mean everyone else can think that you're the bee's knees and you can feel like absolute shit mm-hmm. so the only thing that really matters is do you feel like it's a dignified and honorable life and you know i ultimately it does feel like he does think that he does feel that right at the end yeah for sure yeah yeah um so, like you said, yeah, the book actually came out first in 1965, but mm-hmm. it was not a hit and it only sold a few thousand copies and that's in America. Yeah. And then it was re-released in 2005 and that's when it started to strike a chord with people. Uh-huh. And then in France, as you said, in 20, I think you said 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to a podcast about this book, about possibly why in America it wasn't as popular and they mm-hmm. were saying that perhaps it's because it doesn't feel very American. Like it feels much more British in that this okay. quiet, reserved university professor who doesn't is not flashy and isn't patriotic, doesn't go to right. war. He's just very quiet and very, yeah, dignified, but also like that stiff upper lip, just carry on, truck on, do the right thing, sort of do your best. Yeah. Um, don't talk too much about what you feel, <laughs> you know, not to put a stereotype yeah. on. But they were saying in this review, they were like, maybe that's where America did not respond to it because it did not capture what people wanted in America at the time, which was much more boom, like big and and broad, I guess. Right. Do you reckon that might be why? I thought, 
I, I see I see what they mean. I, I wonder whether it is also a lack of um lack of um current affairs. Mm. That, you know, there's there's really nothing about race. No. There's really nothing about you know different states and just you know the the, the cultural milieu of America. Yeah. Um really uh, the only Thing that really centers it is is this background of World War One, and I think it ends before World War Two. I'm not sure. I think it goes World into War World War Two a little bit. I think he gets up into the 1950s. Right, I could right. be wrong, but, but yeah, it I think kind he does of lives weirdly lives in a vacuum a yeah. little bit. Apart yes. from World War One, he's got a small um, life. And, like and he's not. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder whether that also just doesn't doesn't didn't catch the Americans' attention, although it, it has since, obviously. Yes, it has since. Um, and he's, yeah. not, he's not very good at anything. Like, he hasn't, he's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, most of the time, a protagonist, you want them to have a skill. You want to see right. them apply that skill in a way where you're like, wow, that's really captivating what that thing is. But yeah, he tries yeah. to publish a book and it's a horrible failure. And, <laughs> well, see, this is it though, right? It's a horrible failure. <laughs> it doesn't sell copies, but right at the end of his life, he still looks at that book, doesn't he? He still feels like he did something with it, and it's to him he wow. did. It's. I mean, is there anything sweeter for a writer to read than a writer <laughs> ending his book holding his hand, his holding his book in his hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like he was reclaiming it a little bit, you know. It was like he was. He was like he was okay with who he was at the end, you know, and he he didn't mind that it maybe no one else had seen him. That wasn't what was important. It was important that he saw him, you know. Exactly. Well, it's what 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 do you attach significance to? You know, if you attach significance to your car or to your child or to your whatever, you know, and obviously there's multiple things that you can attach significance to. Um, and for him, even though it wasn't significant to the world, it was significant to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've also read a couple of things that said this this book was really about there's a little bit of an undercurrent of um, like a formalist versus modernist structure. And so um, with a formalist structure, so John Williams was he was in a university and he was surrounded by this modernist movement from people who were writing much more romantically and floridly and they were just eschewing all the norms and getting rid of rules and just doing whatever the heck they felt like and going on these tangents. But this book is much more straight and narrow. Yeah. Like it's not flashy. There's no flashbacks. There's no, you know, it's just very formal, yeah. plain as day book. And yeah. then in the actual showdown with Walker, this is kind of what is the argument. Like Walker mm. is the fly by the seat of the pants. I guess the pants are, if you're talking about, right? <laughs> Just romantic and really invested, but doesn't mm. have discipline, I guess. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then Stoner is obviously our protagonist who we like, and he is much more like, no, you need this discipline. And he sort of, like he verbally completely wrecks Walker in that scene where Walker's trying to present, you know, himself to the board. Yeah. But do you think there's anything to this? Like, what do you, do you think, I don't know whether I ever think about this stuff, like formalist versus modernist, whether I prefer I one to the other. I mean, until you'd mentioned that terminology, I'd never really heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I can see it when you, when you, when you brought it up. Um, Cause I like yeah, books that um, write from the gut. Like I like books that are experimental and strange. Like, I'm quite a fan I, of that, but there was something about reading a book that was just a bit plain. I liked, it was like a simple food, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like anything you kind of need. I think if I read too many books like this, I would be over it, but it, it mm. felt a bit like a palate cleanser kind mm. of, because like I said, you had, I just read it calling by your name and it's very rich. It's very, you know, seductive. And there was, I loved it. And there was this stark, contrast between the two um so yeah i guess so, so that's that, that's in that sense I, one thing that i really liked about this book which i'm i hope i can one day partly do is write <laughs> someone's life yeah my first modern marriage is set in like you know 
what, maybe two months. The one I've just, I'm working on now is set in maybe like one month. Mm-hmm. And I just can't seem to really <laughs> write more than that. And yeah. I, I love these kind of expansive, multi, this isn't a multi-generational, but kind of long books. And it's also, it, like I mentioned at the beginning, I think this kind of omniscient. It, it isn't really, it re- isn't, it, it alludes to something happening in the future. Yeah. It kind of isn't, which, um, so, so that I, I liked as well, because I don't see much of anymore. Yeah, it is. It does feel a little old-fashioned, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. One of the first things I I wrote that people seemed to respond to at least a little bit, um, it was shortlisted for a prize, um, mm-hmm. but it was never published. Um, I wrote this book when I was about a musician. It was a novella. And uh, so it, it sort of it charted his entire life, but you would sort of just pick moments to sort of zoom in. So there'd be a moment from his childhood and then how he got his guitar and then it was meeting uh-huh. his wife and then it was meeting his bandmates and then it was the breakdown of his marriage and then he's a mechanic 40 years in the future. He's talking, you know, like I was yeah, trying cool. to write a whole life in a novella. Um, right. I sometimes go back to that. Like I I, I would like to, I, I think looking back at it now, it was very, um, I don't think it's quite there yet, but I like, yeah, like you say, I like that idea of, zooming in on a person's life and actually it's almost like catching up with the drinks with someone who you haven't seen for 10 years like where are you at now Mm. oh really that happened um i really like that in a book yeah and i I mean it obviously reflects a a real human life you know from start to to end Mm. um and i also just read a couple of months ago i don't know if you've read alexander solzhenitsyn's like masterpiece um the gulag archipelago it's, it's really long yeah, um i haven't read it. it's about yeah you have or you haven't no i haven't no but he he makes this thing about you know th- how to how to know one's meaning in life mm. and you know if you're really if you're in a i think this is the analogy that he uses like if you're in a movie and you're watching a scene like you can't really understand the full concept behind the movie until really the end of the movie <laughs> um, and a life is like that you kind of while you're living it you're kind of trying to figure it out but you can only really kind of grasp it when you look back at, at the end of your life and that, that's what I like about these kind of books where which cover a big expanse of time because you can really see the movement hmm. the growth or the not growth or you know whatever you know or just the different the different nuances and the thing he holds on to too like um and i'm sorry i've forgotten the name of the the character who ends up fighting in world war one but passes away his good friend yeah i can't remember yeah can't but remember. that him a few times yeah he, yeah he comes back like it's not just that little moment and then you forget yeah. about him that person sort of is in his whole life he always mentions yeah. him and thinks about him even right up until the last moments yeah yeah which is kind of cool like what memories you hold on to and which you choose to to let go of and those were the things he wanted to hold on to yeah um yeah. it does but, make me wonder if there was more but the editor cut out <laughs> yeah i guess yeah interesting right i guess we won't know yeah. Um, there's been a few cr- criticisms on the book. I just was wanting to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I just think this mm. stuff's really interesting to dive into because, again, mm. like, be- like I love this book so much. Mm. I actually find it kind of heartening sometimes when you read a piece that <laughs> yes. you love and then you read a negative <laughs> review and you're like, Definitely. okay, totally okay for people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But one of the criticisms was on his portrayal of women and especially Edith who is not portrayed in a very flattering way. Um, But I think to me, at least, and I wanted to hear your response on this, but to me, Edith is certainly a sympathetic person. She's also, I think, very three-dimensional person. Like she's not just, you know, a mustache twirling, although I guess she wouldn't have a mustache, but she's not a mustache twirling villain. You know, she's got Mm. real motivation. You just sometimes mm. don't get to see it as personally because it's not her perspective. So sometimes she can just seem a bit cruel, I think. Yeah. But then also Catherine is portrayed, I think, like as Stoner's equal, if not better, right? Like she's really interesting and she challenges him and pushes this is the woman who he has an affair with. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just wondering what your, what, had you thought about that as you read it? Did you feel like Edith was sort of uh, an unflattering kind of, 
I guess a, a portrait of a, a woman who isn't motivated or doesn't have agency or that sort of thing? Um, gosh, I, I would say I, I can understand. I can yeah. understand that analysis of it. I mean, equally, you know, he rips into Lomax, who's a, who's a man. Yes, um, I want to talk about Lomax in a second, actually. Yeah, um, but I, I, yeah, I guess, I guess it is a book of its time, you know. And um, I reckon if it was written now, that women would be portrayed differently. There'd probably be more women in it. Yes. You know, even on the on, in the in the literature department, there'd be more women, all that kind of stuff. So, um, masculine-driven. So, so yeah, book, I, I, feel. I think it's a book of its time. Yeah, so I can see, I can see that. Um, but I also feel like we're sort of kept out of most of the characters. Like we don't really know any of them beyond Stoner. Like even the male characters, we don't. They are that everyone is sort of kept at a little bit of a distance. Yeah. Like even his daughter, yeah. he sort of is, she becomes like this puzzle to him. He doesn't quite. Well, he's very aloof, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he, he is. He's really an odd guy yeah. that I sympathise with. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, the other criticism, and I actually think this one is a little bit more of a a stronger criticism, even though I'm not sure I, I fully agree with it. I can, I can understand this one a little bit better, I think, and that's his portrayal of people with um, disabilities. So we've got two characters mm -hmm. who have disabilities and that's Walker and Lomax. And they're both, I mean, if you had to pick a villain out of the book, those Lomax? would- Lomax? I didn't, I didn't which, know, I didn't realize Lomax had- Which one? So, sorry, maybe I'm use, misusing the character's name. So the one who stands up for Walker, and yeah, he had a, he had a very- Lomax. Yeah, he had a very yeah, pronounced yeah. limp, if you remember. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's why he assumes that, that he's sticking up for him. That's right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 So You're he right. goes, okay, well, he's sticking up for him because they are both got these disabilities. Yeah. And so yeah. they're all standing up for him. And so people are like, that's that very James Bondy thing of, you know, the person with the facial scar is therefore scar. evil. Yeah. And it's kind of not yeah. a great representation of a person with disability. So I can actually kind of see, you know, again, this is me talking, so I don't, I can't identify with this so i'm not the person mm. to speak on it but i do understand that criticism i think mm. what, what are your thoughts on that oh yeah definitely definitely and i think you know there's, there's got to be conflict in a book like yeah. there's got to be some idiots there's got to be some you know and and yeah yeah i, think, I, I mean i think people really really do think like that still. yeah and i think i mean you know <laughs> people with disabilities can be villainous as well i think people the biggest problem they had was that there were two only two people with disabilities in the book and they both were yeah. the antagonists <laughs> you yeah. had one you know what i mean if there was a sort of yeah. an evil one like it, it would have been a little bit maybe more sensitively portrayed but again this was written in 1965 yeah. so you sort of got a we didn't have that language back then yeah but i guess he had to kind of link why he's protecting him so much why he's so and adamant, at one point yeah. and at one point him and another colleague are like it's not what you think it is, i.e. they're not having an affair, like a gay affair. You yes. know, it's probably that other thing. So it kind of sticks <laughs> to not, you know, yeah. politically correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, you know, people really have these conversations. People really yes. think like that, you yeah. know. Yeah, um, and I think sure. personally, I, I like to see, I like to read books that, that, that aren't glossing over real life and, yeah. and making it look not how it is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. even if it's uncomfortable, even yeah. when it's uncomfortable, you know. Totally so, get that. Yeah. Um, and then I, I wanted to know what you thought of Stoner's refusal to enlist and whether or not you feel like that really <sighs> emasculated him, you know, because obviously in World War One, in that society, that culture at the time, Mm. And I mean, I think, sorry, and again, sorry, I read this book a little while ago, but his best friend does actually say to him, like, you're a coward, you know, yeah. he pretty much implies, like, he thinks he's a coward for not going over into World War One and actually fighting mm. for his country and fighting for all those things. Um, I don't know whether it really affects Stoner that much. He doesn't seem to really dwell on it that much. But no. do you, do you think, 
do you think it did affect him? Do you think it's how it affected how people saw him, or do you think it affected how he saw himself? I think he comes back to it a couple of times. Yeah, I think he struggled with the fact that his friend went and died. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I guess like a lot of these things, there's no there's no one feeling. It's often multiple feelings at the same time. I mean, I think if anything, he's stronger for sticking up for what he wants as opposed to just doing what everyone else is doing because everyone else is doing it. If anything, it's more it's more yeah. gesundes. Um, so, but I think he also struggles with that. He has struggled with that choice because, you know, maybe if I had been there, would, would things have been different? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think this is what I like about this book. It, it, there's no, it's not neatly packaged. No. You know, you can, you can be happy and sad at the same time about the same decision, <laughs> you yeah, know, and that's a fair point. about it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, he could have gone like there's no reason that that John Williams couldn't have had him go over and fight and mm. come back with his friend like that could have happened in the book and it, he didn't need to dwell on it it could have just been very quick mm. but he chose to have him stay back which is a really interesting mm. character choice and it wasn't I don't think it was out of cowardice he just what that thing that quote we read earlier about there are victories that are fought that aren't on the battlefield and he did see his legacy as being one of uh i guess you know awakening young minds in his classroom right yeah yeah and that was one of his we mentioned how passive he was that was a real active choice yeah yeah but on the outside it seems passive on the outside people thought i mean you look at it from the outside you're like, oh, look at this coward he's just staying you're back avoiding his, yeah avoiding yeah. the conflict but yeah. he's making an, a choice that doesn't feel like a, yeah gosh that's clever isn't it yeah yeah um yeah um so just to finish up um mm. last pitch we're talking to listeners of words and nerds and of this podcast and i guess last pitch why should people pick this book up if you had to if you're selling it to someone what would you say um this is the kind of read that will make you look at the most quiet moments in your life and truly appreciate them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I pay that. <laughs> I feel like I want to go reread it now. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you choosing this book and taking time to talk with me today. I really, I, got, I mean, <laughs> we've been discussing this while the hug and kiss in bed has happened out there, but I'm going to <laughs> go see if I can go and good. Yeah, go and say good night to my kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, let's finish up. So what's what's next for you, man? Like, have you got something on the plate coming up? Something creative that's bubbling up? What's what's coming up? Oh, gosh. I'm I'm working on, like, draft nine of book two. Mm. <laughs> um, chipping away at it. Um, that's really my main focus at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and reading, 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 reading. Yeah. I you? should do more of that. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, well, thanks again, man. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thank you. It's been a great chat. Thanks for having me. Thanks so right. much, Ben.